Good morning and welcome back to Recently Rated. I'm Nathan. I'm Flo. And I'm Rob. And we have a good film week this week, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, as the premise again, each week we come back, give each other three movies to watch, and then we get on a podcast and talk about them for a little bit. So this week I recommended Synecdoche, New York to Rob. I recommended A Ghost Story to Flo. And I... (laughs) Forgot my recommendation. I recommended Slow West to Nathan. Amazing. So who <laughs> wants to go first? I can go first. I watched. I um. I was recommended Ghost Story by David Lowry, which I didn't really want to watch <laughs> at first, which was a great mistake, as it turned out. I think I had a little bit of history with this movie because it came into cinemas when I was working in a cinema and it was during a kind of tricky time in my life and the movie just looked so sad that I was so turned off from watching it because it was like, this just looks heartbreaking. Mm. So there's no way I'm going to watch this right now. And um, it's probably good that I didn't see it at that time, but now I was, honestly, I was... uh, kind of blown away by how good I thought it was. A bit of context, it tells the story of Casey Affleck, who is, um, you know, kind of a normal guy. He's a musician, he's married or has a a girlfriend played by Rooney Mara. And then, and they just have this very mundane life. And then he just dies in a car crash. And basically the rest of the movie is him resurrected kind of as a ghost. He, we, we don't see him. He has, um, this just very simple white blanket with two holes for eyes, uh, (laughs) over him. And we, we, uh, spent the rest of the movie. We follow him as he. He spends time in, in the house where, and, and in the beginning, Rooney Mara stays there, but then she moves out, a new family moves in, and he just, he becomes the ghost of that house. And he basically, he traces the house, the house's development through time, and it's torn down eventually, and a big skyscraper and uh, is raised instead, and he, he's there for that too. And then there's a sudden shift, which I would, like to um discuss with you guys because i i don't think i quite got it uh on the first watch where he goes to the past and just basically traces this specific location where he died through all of time yeah so it's you know it's not your your go-to movie i guess it's quite (laughs) to say the least yeah it's quite specific it's quite it's you know it's philosophical and enigmatic i guess in a certain sense and ex- and sort of explores the uh the deeper meanings of you know what it means to be human in a universe that is so timeless or has such a different sort of perception of time than we humans and sort of what it means to be this tiny little sand corn within a whole cosmos that is so much bigger than us, while at the same time exploring just, you know, human relationships, I guess. So it's a kind of crazy double bind. I was just in love with the cinematography. Mm. It's um, it's shot in 
one to one three three aspect ratio, which yeah, is yeah. four to three, four or three. yeah, mm -hmm. which gives it quite a distinct look. You don't really see that that much these days, and the the format was, I think, very well chosen, and the visual language I thought fit perfectly onto what the film was saying that there are a lot, a lot of very long drawn out shots and not that much happens in them but i guess that's just the tone of the movie so i'm i'm just very impressed by how how well the um the cinematic language fit the tone of the subject i mean i, I just thought it was it was so well done and <laughs> A funny thing I, I thought about while watching it was this is an example of how you make a movie with Casey Affleck without Casey Affleck because <laughs> for like 75% of the movie we just see a person underneath a blanket but I think it actually was Casey Affleck but in, in theory he would not have needed him per se which I thought was funny and um, also the staging how and production designs how how um how the the spaces look there were a lot of very deep rooms that had a lot of background middle ground foreground and characters moving in between those spheres and within one shot and it almost reminded me of you know something like citizen kane which had this very elaborate interplay between people in the background talking to people in the foreground and sort of skipping a camera setup by just putting everything into one shot and I thought this movie was doing something similar at points for example that um, that the famous cake eating sequence where Rooney Mara eats a cake for like seven minutes and then she goes to throw up in the background that yeah there was just a sequence like that which I thought was brilliant and yeah I'm just you know I, I don't really have anything bad to say except that i didn't quite get the ending but maybe we can just talk about what you guys thought of the ending but apart from that i'm i was i was very well entertained and questioned mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah i'm not gonna repeat everything you said because you pretty much said it all like all the good things about the film uh it's very distinct very quirky that four to three, honestly, I love that people have been doing that lately with, you know, The Lighthouse or um, Mommy, that one French film is also in four to three. And uh, it's just something about it. There's like no other word, but just the cinematography is sexy. You know, there's just <laughs> something completely different about it. The way it looks, the way it feels is just much better than you know let's say even watching something like interstellar or something like that which like people put all this effort into making you know this huge 70 millimeter imax experience and you're like that's cool but casey applick in a bed sheet mm -hmm. on grainy 16 mil also looks amazing and um i don't know if it was 16 mil but you mentioned the thing about the 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 ending or that whole thing yeah that was very interesting i guess for context spoiler alert of course as per usual the house he lives in gets broken down. You see him at a... like Time starts to compress around him way too quickly. Um, he You know, weeks just go... He turns around and a week has gone by. Just I guess he starts losing his grasp on um, the physical world a little bit, being a ghost. Uh, so the house gets broken down. A skyscraper gets put up. And then he 
jumps off the skyscraper and out of nowhere he lands in like the 1700s like western time with indians and at first i was a little confused i was like did he jump off and somehow go back in time in a portal but then after talking to rob about it a little bit it made sense that um there's a point where he's at the house and there's a party with kesha and he's just <laughs> walking around this party and kesha's like this just tarot car girl uh just walking around having a party doing a dance and um, this guy is giving this whole speech about how kind of how just time moves along and kind of like small impacts you can make into the into your current time but also the future that if beethoven were to you know write a song and everybody's like oh that's beethoven if like the third world war happens and civilization goes to shit we're all going to be cavemen but at some point someone's going to end up singing one of his symphonies or humming it not knowing where it's from but that's kind of the you know the remnants of his legacy a little bit uh and he almost explains what the entire movie is about and rob can probably explain it a little bit better but so we move into this time where casey affleck the bedsheet ghost is with all the indians and the pilgrims and uh we see a little girl who is humming his song the song that he sang for rooney mara and i thought since the time frame they were in was you know let's say only 300 years off of the current time that they were in when he died that he went back in time but i think the gist of what you should have gotten from it is that he just propelled forward into time like in that moment you know he just went to the end of the world ceased existing another big bang forward dinosaurs and then just ended up there again almost like a hyper com compression of time moving forward um and then yeah from then on you know moved back into him and rooney mara going back into the house and uh just kind of going full circle again uh kind of like got lost in that train of thought a mm -hmm. little bit um well and just to point out we even see another mm -hmm. him ghost that he's watching watching rooney mara so that he's watching himself after he died in this way further him you know, like, you know, again, he's watching all of those events unfold once again as time mm -hmm. just moves forward in cycles, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's that, you know, kind of just how time moves forwards in cycles. Even when you see, towards the end of the movie, you see that the two ghosts, right, his older ghost is looking at the ghost of that current time. But um, even in the first shots of the film where you don't know that there's a ghost yet, when Casey Affleck alive is walking around the house, you see this glimmer of rainbow fractured light on the wall. So it's kind of an indication that he's already there, like he is oh. at the end of the film. So that's that one part. But another part that I liked, which is the thing of, I guess, what is it? How small moments or how small things can mean so much to people, like the thing with the note, right? Before she, before Rooney Mara leaves the house, she writes a little note and sticks it in the wall with like a little bit of paint um, yeah, and walks out. So Casey Affleck's ghost gets completely fixated by trying to get that note, except he's constantly interrupted um, with, you know, new tenants, the, the house getting destroyed, Kesha at the party, the world ending, moving forward. Uh, and towards the end, he finally gets a little piece of paper out of the wall. He finally gets some peace a couple trillion years later. And the moment he reads it, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's going to happen. What is it? What does it say? And the sheet just falls to the ground flat, and that's the end of the film. Mm. And 
I was kind of pissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, Rob, I think you had a beautiful explanation for it. So if you want to go for it. All right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, earlier on in the film, actually, we have kind of a precedent to that because we see a, a different ghost um, who was waiting for someone and waiting for someone in this house. And we don't know, they don't even, at this point, the ghost actually had forgotten who they were waiting for. And so, yeah, that ghost, it's basically the moment when it realizes after its house was also bulldozed, it realizes that the person's never coming. And upon that realization, it also collapses and, you know, kind of poofs out of existence. Um, and so there's, yeah, and so there's kind of that precedent we have and where we kind of understand, okay, I guess somehow they have to find closure or peace with their little part in history or whatever it is that, you know, they had gone through. And, and so in his case, I guess, yeah, I just thought about it as, you know, obviously he's in a tiny little period in the history of everything, right? Where we kind of see this cosmic, you know, um, uh, sort of play of events and then there's this tiny little note right which is just as tiny <laughs> in the world as his tiny little piece in time and it's just this little thing you know him and his relationship with this this woman and at one point in the speech actually the guy at the party says um that yeah at the end of the day what do you have in this you know virtual in, in eternity of, of time and, and where money is you know that doesn't mean much where where pretty much nothing means much. What you have is just relationships. And I felt like it was just saying something, yeah, about how this tiny little moment you occupy in life is so small, but yet so meaningful, largely because of the relationships you have and actually what meaning there is in those relationships and in that little little part of, of history that you occupy. And so, yeah, I guess once you've kind of sort of digging into and trying to figure out and find the, sort of the essence and the meaning of his little part, and I guess when he does that's it right he can he can leave and yeah i thought that was really beautiful about like what you were saying you know about how every little like how we're you know each individual life is just a speck of dust in, in time yet it's also so meaningful and mm -hmm. yet seems meaningless in the grand scheme of things but you know there's kind of both and i feel like it does a good job playing with that yeah yeah basically the moment he doesn't have that relationship anymore is when time starts you know, getting crazy, right? Where he turns around and a week or a year has yeah. gone by and all the time that he's in that relationship that we see, time's sort of normal, quote unquote, yeah. or time flows mm -hmm. as we're used to it. And it, because it has that meaning, right? Yeah, that's actually, I thought that was great as well. How, yeah, it's like billions of years just go by like a blink of an eye for him. Yeah, you know, just waiting there and it's just going by because it just doesn't mean anything to him. And then he arrives, right? Yeah, at their relationship again. Yeah, and it pauses and time stands still, and he's watching every little detail of it. You know. Yeah. And that was just so beautiful. Yeah. And I feel like it's I don't know my brain's just firing up right now. I feel like we we could actually could have done an, uh, a whole episode just on the <laughs> yeah, story and sort of the yeah. implications of that. But there's this T. S. Eliot quote about how you. You go through the whole journey mm -hmm. and then at the end you arrive at the beginning mm -hmm. but having gone through the whole thing you actually you're only able to know the beginning yeah. what that means at the end and i feel like you could all you could kind of apply that to the relationship what when he's gone yeah. through the whole genesis of the world and arrives at the relationship again 
he's only kind of yeah, able right. to <laughs> to grasp the full meaning of it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because that's that's also right when we go back in that moment. Uh, I guess when he's propelled forward into time is when we actually see more of the detail of their relationship because at the beginning it was all cutesy and they're hugging each other and kissing each other on the bed and towards the end is the only time you find out where they had their struggles and he's saying you know like oh i don't want to leave this house because there's so much history here uh which is just super ironic and kind of beautiful <laughs> and then j- the way that they fight i don't know why but it just made me cry <laughs> like i just had so many emotions um uh, for it uh, yeah well i guess yeah the fact that we had just seen what we had seen which was just like so many things of just yeah civilization you know building and crumbling and life and death with the, the little girl right where it's like the sped up her corpse decaying and yeah and it's just like we see all these cosmic things and all of that seems like it means almost nothing to him compared to these moments of agony and joy in their relationship and it's just yeah, yeah it's crazy it's just it's so well done you know it really makes you think about i don't know man you know your place and time and you know also, one more thing, or two more things in technique as well, is that soundtrack worked incredibly well. Kind of like the mix of techno and angelic mm-hmm. voices and <laughs> stuff like that, uh, for some reason, works so well with uh, cosmic ghost stories. <laughs> so who would have known? Amazing soundtrack. Yeah. And um, also, it does something very interesting, I think, with... Uh, let's say language or the way we communicate in the same way that Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson does because right in Isle of Dogs uh, some characters speak Japanese others speak English but he decides when you read a subtitle translating to Japanese or whether people just start fighting with each other in Japanese and you have no idea what the hell is going on and kind of in the same way I felt like David Lowry did something interesting with the ghosts how Casey Affleck is a ghost and the other house's ghost you know, they just kind of see each other from the window, you know, just these empty bed sheets staring at each other. And he just puts down the subtitles of like, oh, hi. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, cool. Ingenious. And then they just go about their day, yeah. you know, like a couple yeah. millennia later. And uh, I just thought that was honestly great. Mm-hmm. One question I had is if Casey Affleck finds peace as a ghost, the second he opens the slip of paper, right? Yeah. Why does he find peace in that moment? I'm sorry, there's an interesting thing about that also, sorry. Because I, I was just trying to now. figure yeah. out what, what yeah. you know. What, yeah. Yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about how the little girl also left a note under the rock where his house was, you know, um, in the, um, the little girl of the family, where it's like the 1700s, whatever, but it's, um, but it's, like the future oh, one, you know, how she oh, was always in yeah. the rock. Anyway, I don't know. I was thinking about that. But to me, the way I saw it was that the note has something to do with what's unresolved in his understanding of his life with her, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. It's like that little thing of like he hasn't quite figured out, you know, in their relationship yeah. what exactly that was, what exactly that meant, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I guess to me, it's just finally him discovering what it is, you know, yeah. right? what all that means, what right. their relationship really meant together and, you know, getting to the bottom of it, right? I yeah. feel like that was, to me, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, okay. And, but my follow-up question to that was, like, why does the other ghost disappear? Oh, it's, because the, the other ghost says, I don't think they're coming. Yeah. And that's when they disappear. And I just mm-hmm. thought that was so sad because yeah. it didn't provide that, you know, sense of resolution that KCF, like, gets as a ghost. Mm-hmm. Where it feels like, okay, I get 
what this relationship meant to me so now i can move on but this other ghost was just like oh yeah yeah i'm kind like, of fucked. Well, it's I closure guess, was literally just oh i guess it's all that, whatever be yeah. closure. but i guess that's that's why because you were saying why does he get resolve right why does he get resolution from the note yeah and i guess that's the whole point because he has a note right yeah like the other ghost yeah. person left and there was probably nothing left yeah. to kind of like resolve the situation and so you know a couple of years go by and it's just like all right i guess they're not coming or for casey affleck rooney mara may have left right we don't know where she is he could have followed her i think i don't really know but what he has is that note and she wrote something on it whether it's important or whether it's like you know a joke she did something and that's like the last thing he has to remind himself of her to like get some resolution as rob said for whatever was going on yeah. so i guess that's the only thing that really gave him that last grip to yeah, like yeah. stay a bet sheet and i guess whether it's sad or happy is kind of irrelevant i guess it was probably in a way as you know each ghost came to terms with their existence yeah. whether it was happy or sad you know it's like the other one's like oh i guess that was it and then boom it's gone but he at least he had more to it but i guess yeah it's not about whether yeah it's good or bad i guess it's just coming to terms with whatever your existence consisted in right yeah. it's also just such a good study now that we talked about it about relationships and moving on and mm -hmm. if you want to read it as you know like a yeah. what happens after a breakup and you yeah. almost become like this ghost that lives in this past carcass mm -hmm. of the relationship and Actually. by the time you <laughs> yeah. have kind of you know everybody takes their own time until they're ready to bury the relationship i guess or mm -hmm. whatever and then move on and yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I just realized yeah. that. Everyone takes their time until they're ready to spread the bed sheets. Yeah. But yeah. It was interesting. I want to see a... Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was just going to say I want to rewatch the interview that I told you about, Nathan, um, uh -huh. with the director. But just that, yeah, he had talked about how a lot of it had to do with, um, in his mind, like with his childhood home mm. and mm. about moving yeah. like, out of it and just basically, I guess, how much it meant to him. And I think maybe it was that... It, I can't remember, don't quote me on this. I think it might have been that it was going to be Bulldoze, and when he realized that, he was just reminiscing and realizing how much that house and that time meant to him. Yeah. And just about how small and in a way, like, in a way it, like, feels like it's objectively very small and yeah, almost yeah. meaningless, but to him it meant so much, and I guess it was trying to figure out what, why that was, what that was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy man. Crazy movie. Watch this movie. Yeah. I don't give a shit. You can decide <laughs> to not watch a lot of the movies we discussed but this one yeah man you're try. missing out <laughs> yeah honestly give it a try. pull through the first 30 minutes because it will to some extent be boring as fuck yeah but you'll get meaning from it afterwards yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's uh, a very good way of putting the interesting thing just to like make a note on the like long thing and then the like on the beginning versus later because we were talking about how the beginning is so slow right it, like shots just last forever and yeah and after people like leave the frame when you think it should cut it still lasts forever and i feel like it was just interesting yeah how in the beginning you're watching how time is just every small moment so long right yeah, yeah. and then later it's about how actually long moments are almost nothing yeah <laughs> and it's just like that interesting thing of oh yeah everything is so long but yet so short in the grand scheme of things right it's that constant thing of how small yet big every moment is and i guess yeah it does that really well by juxtaposing billions of years happening in a second versus like five seconds happening in like 10 minutes you know it's like an interesting thing yeah 
With that being said, this episode's about to get real big if we don't cut it right now. So, Flo, yeah, yeah. what was your rating? Nine. Solid nine, even considering more, but nine for now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, for me, a nine as well. Also a nine for me? For an average of nine for Ghost Story. David yeah. Lowry, you get a round of applause, my Woo-hoo. friend. Watch The Green Knight. Coming out soon. Yeah. Be our podcast to discuss it, David. You heard it. <laughs> uh, shall we move on to even more heady stuff? Sure, let's do it. No. <laughs> All right. We can end with like a five-minute segment yeah, yeah, on slow because West. I mean that was not yeah. that big anyway. So. No. All right. So, Synecdoche, New York, uh, is what I was recommended by Nathan. Good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to even know where to start exactly. So obviously, okay. Written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Starring, um, oh shoot, what's his name? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and um, Hoffman well, Seymour, a lot yeah. of other people actually. Um, and yeah, it was about a, <laughs> um, a yeah, a playwright who makes this play, which is quite a hit. It's a success, and it's we're watching him with his family, his wife, his daughter. Um, he's ha- he ends up again spoilers as usual. He ends up um, starting to have an affair uh, with this woman that works um, is in his, where he works. I guess. Yeah, at yeah, the yeah, box yeah, office. Yeah. Oh, right, she's the box office girl, yeah. And so, yeah, so he, it's about all of these aspects, basically, of his life. And as he gets, like, disease after disease as well, and there's a whole bunch of other things, it's kind of, don't won't get too much to details, but as things go, Things get a little stranger, and eventually he gets this grant. Uh, uh, was it MacArthur grant mm-hmm. um, for millions and millions? And he decides to use this money to make, uh, you know, this play. But he can't quite figure out what it is. It's supposed to be just like about everything, about life, death, love, whatever. And he decides to, basically, over the rest of his entire life, to build a life-size replica of New York and, like, make every single individual in his life and around his life, uh, a replica of them, and then eventually a replica of himself, and then a replica of the replica of himself, and it gets more and more and more meta, until finally he just dies in the middle of a sentence when he finally thinks he's figured out what the play is about, which is also sort of what his existence is about, and then he just, he's gone. <laughs> so yeah, that's the movie. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess it's... I don't know. Yeah, it was just a lot, you know. It was a a lot of um, weird stuff, I guess. Like, a lot of playing with timeline, the timeline of the film, like, where his daughter is growing up extremely quickly, and he's reading her diary, and she's supposed to be really young in the diary, and yet she sounds like an old British, an old German woman, an older, you know, like, like, adult German woman. Also, the diary never leaves the house. Yeah. So why does it get updated? No, exactly. And it's just like, it's just so much strange <laughs> stuff that makes no sense. And at one point, there was actually a character that says, oh, I think I understand you. Like, you know, you're just, you know, uh, like between existence and non-existence and you're know, kind of floating in there and your time, you know, your whole life and the, you know, the timeline in your life is all confused and blah, blah, You're like, all right. Uh, I think she says, you're a man that's already dead. Yeah, you're a man yeah. that's already dead. And, and which is interesting because there's a point in the film where he says, um, where, where his therapist says, after he says, oh, why did uh, this four-year-old author of a book about Nazis, um, he's like, why did he kill himself? And the, the therapist says, why did you? And he's like, what? And he goes, 
why would you? He's like, oh, and then he moves on. And so there's like all this stuff that seems to be like, well, is he alive? Is he dead? Did he kill himself? Is he going to kill himself? And and it's just like a very, yeah, just a lot of odd stuff, you know? So I don't know. Like my thoughts are, I really liked it. I, I thought it was quite good. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff. Um, Some stuff that felt... I don't know. Yeah, strangely meaningful without fully me understanding yet what exactly it means. Um, I mean, a lot of stuff felt like it was maybe specific to New York as well. Like this house is, uh, that that his the woman he has an affair with is uh, on fire constantly, and he's getting diseases constantly, and his house is just a mess. There's new problems every day, and I felt like it was just kind of interesting. And this woman trying to sell her the house, meanwhile it's on fire, and she's like, "I'm afraid I'll die from the fire." It's like, "Oh well, you know, it's a big decision." <laughs> It's like, it's just the most ridiculous stuff. And I felt like that might be sort of New York specific, these expensive like living situations where everything is supposed to be great and glamorous and yet it's just all falling apart. And I don't know, I can't tell what is supposed to be sort of cosmic and what's specific to New York. But, um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I liked it. Good cinematography, good acting. I was saying at the beginning, I thought the directing of this was quite good, especially at the beginning. Just, um... Really, I don't know, just the, the staging and mixed with the cinematography and the acting, just how it all came together, I thought was really good. And so many interesting, funny, witty lines and so much interesting stuff, especially at the end, um, about sort of trying to recreate reality and having a really hard time to sort of capture its essence. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was, I guess we'll talk about it more once we all get kind of in dialogue, but basically, I liked it, yeah. I fucking hated it! No! <laughs> Uh, I thought it was really cool. I had had it on my watch list for ages too, so I was really glad to take that off. I think, you know, what you, Rob, just said about it feeling meaningful without you realizing exactly what that mean, what the full extent of that meaning was just hits it on the, on the head for me because, yeah, there, there were so many moments where I thought, okay, this is signifying something, but... I'm kind of missing the key to it. I would say props to Charlie Kaufman because it's still enjoyable, you know. I, I feel like it's it's kind of crazy that you can still just watch it and you just have to accept that you're going to be confused. There's a strange beauty in that, <laughs> you know, watching it and just being confused but just going along because I, I think because I watched one one essay on it that gave me some um, background information, I guess, as to how to read it. It, uh, it draws a lot from existentialist philosophy, I guess, and one cornerstone of that branch was the meaninglessness of life and how, how we're just th thrown into this, you know, into this, this storm of shit and it's loud and we don't know anything and yet we still have to live, right? Yeah, to, to a certain extent, it, it is a bit about that. And, and I guess the watching experience was a bit like that too. You're just going along uh, because you have to. Mm. I guess for me, pretty quick, I just realized, all right, if yeah. I want to watch this movie, then I have to just accept <laughs> that I'm not going to get yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and personally, I really... I just love narrative layers and, and temporal layers and when they start interacting with each other. And so the whole thing about him recasting himself 
and basically his vision of making a play version of life what a great idea that i could never have had <laughs> yeah just yeah cool. like cool. how he's casting someone to play the actor playing him or to play the actor playing the actor playing the actor playing him and it's like yeah it's yeah ridiculous. and it's just but it's just charlie kaufman you know it's, i mean there's hints of john malkovich in this with you know mm. the, the the level multiplication and uh, i haven't seen adaption i don't know what's going on in, in that one but mm. Oh yeah, Anomalisa, I don't know, had traces of this too, yeah. I, I feel like, with uh, you know everybody looking the same and everyone, everyone being a copy of something and stuff like that. So, so I don't know, it's probably just his thing and it's kind of entertaining in a strange, confusing way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, what you were saying about existentialism in the film, like how he about trying to sort of understand the meaning slash meaningless, meaninglessness of life. I thought that was what was really cool about him trying to recreate the entirety of New York for this play. And he's constantly trying to find a title and they're always like, ah, I don't think that no, this doesn't work. It's not good. Or he's <laughs> constantly trying to figure out, oh, wait, I think I know what it's about now. Or I finally think I know what it's about, you know? Yeah. And and the titles are so dumb sometimes. Yeah, they're so dumb. And it's like, <laughs> he's always like, I promise there'll be, there'll be meaning. Trust me, it has a lot of meaning. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, just about the absurdity of the whole thing, I guess, and, and how it's sort of... Yeah, the, and just basically how by doing that, the film manages to sort of capture him trying to understand life's meaning by trying to understand the meaning of his own play, which is supposed to be sort of all of life. And it was just, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, kind of clever. Yeah. Before I watched this film, right, Watch Mojo, I think, had a video of like the top 10 most difficult films to understand. And I think in the top three were like Primer, Mulholland, Drive, and then this film with Sinatra <laughs> New York being number one. And, uh, it's, you know, Charlie Kaufman, he just, I don't know what he does, but it's crazy. Usually you hear these concepts, right? Because this film just has a bunch of concepts thrown together and somehow they all work. Like if you're in film school and you hear that one random, you know, that one person from the class are like, it's a movie about this and this and this. You're like, all right, you're pretentious, <laughs> calm down. But Charlie Kaufman makes it work. And it's just, I thought it was crazy, honestly. The first time I saw it. I thought I was going to hate it. It started going into a trajectory of me hating it. I was like, this is nuts. And then it got so absurd to the point where I started really loving it. And uh, honestly, I did something which I re would recommend you two doing as well, which is I recommended it to you guys for the podcast. And I watched it again within mm -hmm. like a one month time frame. And that honestly just made me appreciate it so much more and made me get so many I get so much more out of the film because there's so many things that you don't notice. Mm. Uh, like the first time I didn't notice that all the cartoons on the TV or anything that's a poster is him. Yeah. Like yeah. in it. Right. Like you like saw some of them, but in the movie, when you see it again, it's like every single one without yeah. a fail is him. And he's always included in something, uh, you know, and it's this weird concept of him. I don't know, like seeing himself as something bigger, which I feel like is also part of the film. Um, he gets to a point where he's directing the play, right? He has like all these audition training sessions and an entire hangar is just filled with actors doing their, their lines. And uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to give everyone a different note each day. Like you've just, you know, you just heard your mother died. You just had an abortion, like all you, like nothing matters anymore. And he almost tries to play God with everybody that he's acting with. 
Um, but there's also a line uh, which he says it's like, I'm going to give you guys notes and they're going to correspond exactly with the notes I get every single day from God. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of this thing of like, you know, I'm going to screw you over just like I feel like God is screwing me over. It was kind of what it felt like to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just one of like the 25 concepts in this film, yeah. which is just too much to talk about. Well, actually, that just made me realize, yeah, right as you were saying that, I was realizing kind of what, what you were saying and about that, the notes he gets from God. And then, so, so throughout the film, yeah, he's directing this play and then he ends up at the end replacing an actor that was playing himself, I believe, or no, replacing an actor that was playing someone else and um, like Linda. Mm -hmm. And then now he's getting the notes from the woman now playing him uh within the world right and mm -hmm. it was interesting sort of all these notes he's just doing what he's told to do in this very robotic way by someone who doesn't really know even what the play is about and mm -hmm. it's like and then he's going through the motions right until he's just directed to die yeah and yeah. it was i thought so cool of like oh yeah if it's doing something like what you were saying you know about sort of the meaninglessness of life sort of the absurdity of life then definitely like that the world or you know like is directed you know, let's say it was called this God. And in this case, like this woman that's playing him. And it's like, it was just directed by someone who has no idea what it's about. And is just telling you what to do and until it just tells you to die and that's it. And it was like a lot about determinism and whether life has any meaning at all. And sort of whether, you know, you're really, you know, living and I don't know. Yeah. It was just a lot of, um, a lot of interesting things in that, I guess. Yeah. Of, of his, just as you're watching him walking through the streets, just being told every little step of his life, what he has to do about, you know, yeah. And that, how that plays into, like, do you even have free will and all this other stuff as well. I just felt like actually there were mm. a lot of things in that um, little snippet, yeah. And then just side note, there were some really funny lines that absolutely made no sense or felt so out of play. You know, when, when he goes to see, I think his daughter in the hospital dying and she just makes him say, oh, yeah, I left you to uh oh yeah to, to to become a homosexual and have anal sex or with something eric. like that yeah. with eric and you're like who the fuck is eric we don't even know who eric yeah. is you know and yeah. it's just so bizarre yeah. which probably i guess i guess the implication must have been that his daughter had been told that by his mother or her mother or yeah, something, yeah. That, you know, he left us to go with his homosexual lover eric yeah yeah and so she forces him yeah to apologize for it but it's such a surreal, you know, yeah. it's, it's just yeah. it's so weird. weird. And also the fact that she, right, his daughter, when she's in Berlin, when she gets taken away, she goes to Berlin. Uh, at 10 years old, she's like the tattoo girl or the flower girl. And she has all these like amazing tattoos on her, but she's 10. You know, he's even screaming in Jennifer Jason Leigh's face, but she's dead. And he's <laughs> like trying to punch her. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, 15 years later, when she dies... Um, all the flowers on her body are dead and even one like rose petal from the flower falls off onto the deathbed and just like, you know, I don't even know what that's supposed to be. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Charlie, he just, yeah, he just makes it work and I'm very excited for, I'm thinking of ending things. It's probably going to be very heady. And another thing is that, um, you know, he'd written scripts before, right? We have Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Adaptation, Being John Malkovich. Um, but this was his directorial debut, Imagine. Oh, fuck. Come in, come in swinging with this, the, one of the hardest films of all time. And uh, just the, the dialogue and some of the scenes, I think two scenes are absolutely beautiful, which one is the funeral, which mm. if you look up the funeral scene, pretty much this entire speech also talks about and I guess, I guess gives you full meaning about a certain aspect of the film. 
uh, about the meaningless and about death and all these things. Um, and also the entire scene where he uh, gets instructions from Linda to be Ellen, which from the beginning, we don't even, or from somewhere middle in a movie, we're not even sure if he's Ellen or she's Ellen or who was Ellen because they're all painted as each other, but they also know that it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and it's just fucking confusing. Yeah. But it's done so well. <laughs> the funeral scene, I'm just thinking about the, his father's funeral. Oh, <laughs> it man. was just ridiculous. It was like starts with, oh, oh, it's like, yeah, and, and it's like, <laughs> so it's like, oh, so he said, he's on the phone first, and it's like, oh, you know, your father, he died, and it's like, oh, no, you know, he's like, he's already processing that, and it's just, oh, and he, he said that he has so much regret, and he died in awful pain, it was torture, and, and he said, you know, he regretted everything or whatever, you know, and this just keeps on getting worse. I thought it was like, and there was, by the end, there was almost nothing left of him. And then you go to the funeral and it's like, oh yeah, there was almost nothing left of him. They had to fill up the thing with cotton to fill it up. And then you see it and it's just like this tiny, like almost doll-sized coffin. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> and then later somebody goes, oh, you're, you know, oh, his dad was like a big guy. And it was like, what? <laughs> it's just so absurd and strange. Yeah. And see when they say that, the nurses said it was one of the the saddest and longest death, death speeches yes. that somebody had ever ever said, ever said and oh. it's just oh. overkill. Yeah, it was just <laughs> literally uh, again just about I guess the absurdity and is how the tragedy of life becomes almost absurd and comical at, at some point. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah also, how um, what's her name? Hazel, right? She gets the house that's constantly on fire, and she lives such a long life like she lives until she's probably 60 or 70 and then the day that her and Caden that's his name Philip Seymour Hoffman the day her and Caden finally get back together after this whole long trajectory of a story she dies that night of yeah. smoke inhalation yeah. which is just so yeah right oh you know he he can never get a break and in a way I guess that's also supposed to encompass life that you could either you know we could either go really well and, but at some points, you know, people just can't mm. catch a break and stuff like that can just happen. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah, again, the ending of just, you know, finally he thinks he has it. Finally he thinks he, you know, has a meaning. And then he's just, yeah, he's told to die. And then, boom, mid-sentence, gone. Yeah. He never, he, you know, right when you're supposed to have figured it out, right? And he's, like, trying to say what it was, it's gone. And it's also worth watching all the credits, too, because uh, the same thing for Anomalisa. But the song that rolls through the credits, the same song as heard in a dive bar that they constantly meet at, uh, is actually written by Charlie Kaufman. And it usually carries a lot of the meaning and symbolism of the film. And uh, he just likes doing that for some reason. And it's just worth, I get, especially since the movie is crazy, it's just worth sitting through the credits and watching it all fly by. Yeah. All right. I think whoever just gets up and walks out of this is... They either got it, bravo to you, or I don't know. Or do you think it's absurd, which granted... They're strange. It is. Even if you hate it, come back to it in two years and see what you think yeah. then. Yeah. Shall we rate it? Let's do it, yeah. So uh, it's an eight from me. It's an eight from me too. Uh, I bumped it up to a nine after watching it. Ah, again. cool. So, so an eight. That is an eight for Synecdoche, New York. Mm-hmm. Now, on to something light and fun. <laughs> Quick little quirky A24 Western film, Slow West. Um, it is a story of 
Cody Smith McPhee. I forgot his character's name. Yeah. He's a Scottish boy that finds himself in the U.S. Um, essentially, the story is that he's trying to find the girl who he's madly in love with. And uh, because she had to run away from Scotland. And so he tries to move west very slowly <laughs> to find her. And along the way meets Michael Fassbender who helps him get there. But what he doesn't know is that whatever she did in Scotland follows her to the U.S. And she has a bounty on her. And people just kind of uh, hang on his coattails to, you know, reach the house where she's at. And... Uh, yeah, it was it was a quirky film at first. I you know I thought it was okay. I thought it was just fine. Uh, it really did some interesting stuff. It uh, it had another, I guess less, but it had another one of those moments as well with language. With uh, they're walking through a field and there's just these three random Congolese singers uh, singing in their native language, and then I think the three of them speak French to each other just very randomly and then they continue their day, just like a weird moment. Um, yeah, it's not your typical Western film, that's for sure. At the moment I said 824, that probably should have given it away. But probably the one thing I want to talk about is the final 20 minutes of the film, which I thought was just crazy uh, story-wise. Um, the way they shot it, cinematography-wise, just everything about it was so great and beautiful and well done. Um, I think the majority of the film was filmed in New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is interesting that they compare that to, you know, the Great Plains in the west of the United States. But the moment they finally get to the house where his beloved is at, uh, a bunch of mercenaries show up, like 12 of them, and it's just gun after gunshot after gunshot and bullets are flying everywhere and there's blood everywhere people are dying she's fighting back and <laughs> a moment where i think i laughed a little too hard but he finally he unties himself because michael fassbender tied him he gets to the house he walks in but she just thinks he's another burglar shoots him in the chest and completely ignores him for eight minutes straight and it's glorious. He's just sitting there on the floor bleeding. You, you just see his little puppy dog face. He's like, but I love you. And she's just gunshot after gunshot, explosive, all this stuff. Um, until she finally looks back and sees him. And she's like, wait a minute, little Johnny. It was even before that though, right? That her like uh, um, Native American, right? Was he Native American or was he just... Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. the part where yeah, I think it's before she even sees him, she makes out with like her lover. No, no, no. She <laughs> she shoots the kid. He's on the floor there bleeding. The the Native American guy comes in. It's like, oh, I'm gonna try and fight them. Whatever. They make out with each other, as he's, like, and then as her. he's like just watching from the corner, something breaks in the house where salt starts falling on him, and the salt just goes into <clears throat> his heart bullet wound. And I'm like, oh. Man, this kid can't catch a break. This is horrendous. Yeah. Uh, but I was laughing very hard. Yeah, um, yeah it, cinematography, great. Please watch this film if it's only for that scene. Uh, Flo, I think, mentioned it where there's some... I liked it, the quirky stuff that they did where they have people walking from behind of objects and into the frame. Mm -hmm. uh, they do that a couple of times, which I think is fun. And uh, it was just a, a good... It was just a good film to watch, like a little lazy yeah. Sunday indie film. Yeah. 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 Well, it, yeah. It was just like fun, I guess. I mean, I think I agree that for the most part, I was watching it thinking, 
you know, this is all right. Um, it's like kind of fun, good cinematography, good acting, sometimes kind of funny. And I cared at least minimally about the characters. Not a lot, I have to admit, you know. Um, but I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, I guess I wasn't sure what I was in for. And, and then again, the same, you know, when that scene comes around, it's just all of a sudden you're in it. It's funny. It's crazy. It's, it's investing. And now, you're, now you really do care about the characters. You really, everything's really funny. I don't know. It was just great. So I guess, yeah, that bumped it up for me because for a while I was thinking, okay, this is kind of above average, pretty good, okay, not, you know. But then I thought, okay, this is definitely good, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. Not a lot more to say, I guess. It was just mm. um, just a Western in New Zealand, you know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know really much else to say. There's not a lot, interestingly, you know, we just did Synecdoche and uh, A Ghost Story and those... You know, we could probably have done individually like five episodes on each, but this one I feel like not as much analysis involved, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I liked it. Why do you recommend it, Flo? Um, before I answer that, I just wanted to point out really quick before I forget that um, maybe it's just because we discussed these movies um, alongside each other, but I feel like the more we talked about them, I see the similarities, and I just wanted to say that, you know. While in Synecdoche, it's entirely possible that you might just get the meaning of life, but in that moment, somebody just tells you to die and you die, and mm -hmm. it's just kind of a, about the absurdity. You can also chase your beloved across a fucking continent, show up at her doorstep, <laughs> and she just mistakes you for a burglar and shoots you dead. You know, it's just kind of about amazing yeah. how absurd is that yeah shoots you dead makes out with a guy way more handsome and bigger than you and etc and yeah all salt falls in your wound yeah <laughs> and then realizes that you're a lot you know that it was you only too late for you to die <laughs> yeah. it still puts you to work she has him shoot someone as like cover yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't know yeah i feel like there's there's a bit of um absurdism or varying varying degrees of absurdism mm -hmm. in all of these movies yeah uh, funnily enough yeah um i think actually interestingly a ghost story is so depressing but yet i feel like a ghost story is probably the most hmm maybe i'll i mean it's definitely i think more positive than yeah. synecdoche because yeah. in a ghost story it's like yeah it's tiny and almost nothing but yeah it's still so much right yeah, and, yeah. and at least there's that but then in, then in uh, Synecdoche, not even quite. But I guess Slow West, actually, I was watching it just to throw into that. I had realized um, at the end, I was like thinking, oh, what, what, what kind of does this feel like it's saying, you know, about that, I guess. And it was interesting how uh, Michael Fassbender's character, who had this very cynical outlook on life, and was like, oh, you know, it didn't, for him, relationships, all that didn't mean anything. And what was so funny about it was how when he sees him and his lover and you know the woman he loves and um and this absurd sad tragic incident but where you can tell that they love each other to him that actually ends up giving him hope saying actually you yeah. know what there is hope there is life there is love even though it was such a tragic little absurd event right yeah and i guess that was kind of interesting similar to a ghost story it's like everything's absurd and tragic but yet there's sort of a lot of life in that you know mm. a lot of meaning so i don't know yeah there are definitely similarities yeah, but then what does he do? He steals his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, why did I recommend it? Honestly, uh, I was 
going through my watch list thinking about what what can I recommend and I just scrolled past that and thought you know this is kind of special I um I don't know you know even though it's not one of my favorite films or I think it's an absolute 10 it just still made a lasting impression on me and yeah I guess that's yeah. One of the the, the only reasons I, I like Fastbender too. I thought it was quirky, you know, and the cinematography was cool. So Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely like a soft four. <laughs> oh, it's good, it's good. Yeah. Anyway, ratings. Uh a seven. Also a seven. A seven from me as well. For a solid seven from Slow West. So we have a nine for a ghost story, an eight for Synecdoche New York, and a seven for Slow West. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Oh, man. You this ruined it. Yeah, I did ruin it. I didn't <laughs> yeah. notice. This could have been a week where we would have had the same ratings for each film. But no, you guys just need to bump up your yeah, rating yeah, for yeah. Synecdoche. Yeah, yeah. You, have, you haven't gotten it yet. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. So, next week. Who am I recommending to? Choose one. Doesn't I recommend it to you, Nathan, this week. So. Yeah, sure. It uh, I'm going to recommend David Cronenberg's Eastern Promises to Oh, Rob. yeah, yeah, I want to watch that. Jesus. Definitely. <laughs> so okay. many movies I just don't know. I'm going to pile on to the just dark sadness. Oh, man. And I'm going to recommend First Reform to Nathan. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I've been wanting to watch it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Paul Schrader. So that's good. Paul Schrader, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Great this is going to be a tough week, depending on what Nathan recommends. Priests and... Should we just pile on yeah, to the yeah, darkest yeah, yeah, yeah. episode let yet? Me, let me get there. Um... <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, you want dark? Sure, man. Like shitty dark week? <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know what? I'm going to... Don't put that in there. <laughs> I'm going to give... Uh, who? Flo? Yeah. Rob? I'm going to give Flo Amour. By uh, Michael Haneke. Oh, yes. No! I really want to watch that too. Oh, man. So, okay. yeah, this is going to be oh! a rough week. This is going to be rough, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Eastern Promises, First Reformed, and Amour. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, bring the bring the tissues. Bring the tissues. <laughs> bring the tissues for next week. All right. All right. That's it on our end. Uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.